We've got a unique, unique offering in this podcast because I haven't met anyone like Sasha doing what Sasha does, and that's our podcast guest for today. And she goes by the name Reno Girl. Well, that's what her website says, so I've decided that's the name she goes by. Um, and we, we talk about her experience as a young woman moving from Ukraine, working three jobs to support her family, uh, and then also um, working in the corporate world, having to sit on a little laptop while in a meeting room when they kept trying to move her around because they were finding some sort of underhanded way to get rid of her, and she managed to stick it out and work it all out. Um, but the, the most interesting part outside of the personal journey and what she's done to be where she's at, being a single mother, owning her own house, um, running a, a, well, I guess, I assume successful, I don't know, for the last four years, but it's still gone through COVID. Uh, so if anyone's sort of thinking about renovation, how to juggle the complexities of uh, getting the, the supplies that you need, finding the right contractors, how to get your vision down on paper in a strategic way. Well, apparently she likes property and apparently she likes planning. So I'm glad people like her exist because uh, fucking sounds awful to me. But yeah, as I say, you know, it solves a problem. And anyone that wants a bit of clarity um, on one, how to control sort of their mindset around money, how to develop their understanding of investment, um, there's a link in the bio. You've got to click it. Check it out. Um, we're giving out a free copy of the book that I wrote. Also, there's newsletter. And I'm going to start creating guides uh, for pretty much any skill set that I can understand and comprehend and deliver to you. That might be helpful. But I'm rambling. Let's kick into it. We've got uh, Sasha. You know, you're a bit of a renovating guru. But I, I think it's useful like to set the context of, you know, how you came to be, what you actually do. Mm-hmm. But I think starting with what you do, because it's somewhat unique. I've met yes. another person doing that, actually. Sure. So what do you do? Um, I guess uh, how it started my business was um, predominantly focusing on helping women and families renovate. And it's from my own experience and I guess having a corporate job and you get home and you own a home, there's a problem, who do you call? And as a woman, it is pretty difficult in the industry. Mm. Um, a lot of, I guess, men that you deal with within the industry, they tend to sometimes um, read the book by its cover and think that you don't know what you might be asking or what mm. um, you might be expecting and things like that. And quite a lot of the time, I think that's where the whole sort of stigma around renovating comes into it in the trust and so I think that from my own experience of actually renovating and doing up houses and selling them I found that there is no one out there on behalf of the customer to help them through the process and actually make it easier but also on the other side you know you have really good tradies and because of all the I guess bad experience that people had in the past Mm. they find that um they don't have the time to, for example, project manage the project and go and get a bath for a customer or help them choose a vanity or actually pull it all together, um, especially in this current market. So mm. I found that my customers are more of a niche market of people who are busy, um, women who are too scared to deal with some of these guys. And let's face it, I mean, they can be quite intimidating or you know, customers who are in St. Helios or Rimuera or, say, in Glendowie, you know, not everybody has a large budget, but quite a lot of the time these guys come out and go, oh, she's a big job, you know, and the poor customer saying, going, well, yeah, okay, but how much? Oh, and it doesn't give you any confidence whatsoever of what are the next steps? Where do I go? What do I do? So I suppose I try and be that person in between. Mm. and give the customer as much information as I possibly can around, well, what does it take to actually do the project? Um, what do we, what is, like, what does the customer need to do? Um, what will the guys do and deliver? And then, I guess, pull it all together. Makes sense. You're off. <laughs> One question you fucking took off. Um, well, I think, yeah, and, and safe space, you know, because you're, you're talking predominantly woman and I'm predominantly a man I think I identify as you know he him just shout out to the we've got um one percent of our audience are non-binary mm. fun fact yeah <laughs> but I appreciate it um so the on the like I have this theory 
a hypothesis that your purpose is helping a version of yourself in the world. Mm-hmm. So either you had struggles yourself um, or strong emotional events that led to you mm-hmm. um, feeling a certain way. And then when you can help it or if you see it in the world, like your mm-hmm. parents have been through a certain thing. And it sounds like on some level for you around the experience of being a woman and a mother and then maybe solving that problem. What what made you decide to do that? You know, was it you had challenges yourself? You saw challenges with friends? Um, you just love it? <laughs> picking bars for clients? I, I don't know. But, uh, I don't generally, I stay away from picking things as such. Mm. I will help people um, direct them into the right places to go and, and start shopping. But I guess um, in regards to helping people, yes, I absolutely love that. I think that's one of the things that I always enjoyed with my um, corporate career mm. um, I used to have a number of staff that I used to manage and it was one of the things that actually helped me feel the most happiest is when I was making a difference and I left the corporate world and I had made a decision okay I'm going to go to Australia I have family there and then while I was actually doing up my house one of my last houses I wanted to sell the guys that were doing the work on the house they basically said to me my God, you're actually outdoing us at the speed that you're going at. Um, I was repairing the house outside and painting. I was on the, on the scaffold doing this villa. And they said, could you help us with the client side of things? We're really good at what we do, but we're not really good with customers as such. And it kind of happened from there. Hmm. Um, and I came up with a name for my company after going for a walk with a girlfriend literally within half an hour it just came to me um, and I felt, felt like okay that makes sense yes that's me and yeah and I just I suppose my own experience of renovating houses and I've originally come from Ukraine with no English no nothing and establishing yourself in New Zealand is pretty tough so naturally when you're renovating it's a little bit like the same process as you come into a new country because it's so different mm. and there's so many components and you just don't know who's actually telling you the truth about your house. Mm. I've had some experiences where builders come into my property because my floor is sinking and telling me it's, oh, it's a $120,000 job. You know, and I've just turned up from work and this guy's standing there leaning on his big yoke. I'm going, okay, have you been under my house? Oh, no. And I said, okay, that's cool, just... Give me a second, I'll go and put my overalls and we're going to go underneath and going to show me this 120k. Then this to say, while we were under the house, the quote went down to about 60 or 50. So I said to him, we better get out of the house really, really fast before I bury him. <laughs> but, you know, and in the end, that cost $4,000. Mm. So I suppose I think um, my overall life experience is, is helping me help other people mm. of um, finding the right, solution for what is going on within um i guess the building as such because i think it's um it's so scary and it's so overwhelming especially when there's something's wrong and no one's willing to put their name on it no one's willing to tell you exactly what's wrong um and then you know um they give you outrageous figures without actually doing any investigation so i'm used to i suppose um when you're managing staff and say if you're going to be going through change management process, it's a new team, they were not performing, you've got to learn how to read the room and find out what's actually going on. So I think for me, I tend to use those skills that I've learned through the corporate career to try and go through the building side of things and pretty much figure out who who's who and who I should be yeah. dealing with. Well, it make, makes sense like... Um there's something I've noticed around two years, like business partners, they have a fallout and the ones that get scammed, I find are the ones that don't have knowledge. Mm. So if like they completely outsource to a certain business partner that does everything as opposed to having a minimal understanding, like, you know, going under the house and getting a feel and suddenly, you know, that's an 80 grand difference. Mm. Maybe the hit job costs 80 grand. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for me, I just love, I guess uh, property uh, as mm-hmm. such. So it's as much as I was working on. on you love sort of, property. Yeah. Where did that come from? You made sandcastles as a kid, or you started building? No, no, I don't know. It just makes sense to me, yeah, I suppose. Okay. Um, 
and so when we came to New Zealand it was one of the things that I remember looking at constantly and thinking <laughs> oh I wish I could do that I wish I could do that and in hindsight I probably should have just done it you know it's um, coming from the country that I've come from you're not really um, even the promotion of your own individual thought isn't there when I was growing up so you know you don't have a supportive um, structure around you or farm people helping you to strive to learn and do different things you know coming up just out of the whole USSR regime yeah. it's quite controlled and everything else so yeah I, I guess it's it's a very interesting we've got to dig into that we got sorry like tell us what you can and can't say but my just to give you context my sister's um she's on the board of Maya's Hope and she went over to Ukraine to help mm. the kids with um uh, deformities from like Chernobyl and stuff like that because yeah. the state owned them. Yes, there was a law that you know was a bit of a mistake. What like so you were in Ukraine for to what age? Uh teenagers. Teenagers. Yeah. Jesus, what's it like? What, what what was your life like in Ukraine? And obviously, there's challenges at the moment. You probably talked about it way too many times, so you can you can oh, choose no. to. Look, I you know there's one thing that I find very interesting talking to probably talk about it now versus say six months ago if you were to ask me the same question Mm. Um, I think as a result of um, the current conflict and the war uh, you know my point of view actually back home has changed a lot I would say that I was thinking I have definitely had a massive opportunities coming to New Zealand and originally when we when we came I think the biggest opportunity was is that at the age that I came, we were thrown into such a deep end here. We've come from, like, we were an okay family and we had a car and we had mm. an apartment. But all of that, selling everything, we could barely, I think it was close to $10,000. So coming here and you have no job, you have nowhere to live, that's barely anything for you to survive on. And nobody mm. wants to employ my parents because they have a heavy accent back then. So I ended up, working three jobs to um help us and so you kind of think about um would i have had that opportunity back then no um is it an opportunity i think so it's a huge opportunity because it kind of created my character of um okay i have an issue what i'm going to do with it i'm Mm. not going to be a victim but i'm going to find a way of how to i guess grow further from this and develop and so it's always been that way for me. Whenever I've had an issue, even at work, I've been bullied, you name it. I always look at it going, bring it on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I feel like you got me to do some of this shit. Like. <laughs> well, I just think <laughs> the thing is, though, if life doesn't scare you, you're, yeah, well. you're standing still yeah. and you're not growing. And in the reality... You know, a lot of people would um, compare themselves to other people and everything else, but you really are actually competing with yourself from mm. yesterday. Yeah, true. So I kind what of, were these three jobs? Oh, it was cleaning. One was catering. Um, yeah. Was, and school. Yeah, I did school. Wow. With no English. Were they roasting you? Were they like just giving you shit and you were the outcast and you just crying to your lunchbox? Uh, I wasn't crying, but I certainly remember when I was was going to Auckland Girls Grammar and these girls came up to me and they said... Girls, I feel like you're using politically correct language. Well, let's put it that way. I was very tiny and an Auckland Girls Grammar, they came up to me and they said, do you want to play rugby in lunchtime? And I just assessed the situation and I thought, no, I'll be broken in seconds. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was a smart decision. Yeah. I'm paying the... I I was 50 kilos, five foot six until 17. Obviously doubled everything there. Because I ate too much, but I and I got taller. But I was playing rugby, yeah, and the body, yeah, you were right. It was a great, <laughs> great instincts there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, yeah, it was so overwhelming just the thought of it. <laughs> yeah. So and then you, so you're doing your three jobs, and then you're going to study, and or you did the corporate job because you got to pay bills for your parents. Yeah, pretty much. Well, uh, at that point, I moved out, but I was quite, I suppose, independent already. Um, with Are you my Ukrainian to parents like harsh? Like, I feel like people don't smile in Russia oh, and Ukraine. I think that was back because literally back in back in those countries, it was so controlled that, you mm. know, oh, my God, if you're going to laugh and smile, you know, um, somebody's going to judge you and, and there's something else and something else. I mean, I remember going back and um, when my grandparents are still alive and my grandfather telling me to wipe my 
um, smile off my face while we were on the bus, you know, just don't want to stand out type of thing. And I was like, oh, okay, that's right, I forgot. Um, I were mean, you look, refugees or something? Was it no, drama? No, 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 you just no. came no, with 10 no, grand no. and they let you in? Um, no, Pretty my lax. dad was on the high skills uh, list. Oh, yeah, got you. Um, so we were immigrated because of that. And I think at the time when we came, the reason, the major reason was it was two to three years that my parents weren't getting paid uh, a salary back there. So, you know, when you have no, I suppose, future stability um, and you can't see really what's ahead and you have a choice to maybe seek another avenue where you might have a bit yeah. more of a stable life that's what they chose and going back to your original question i think at the time that was right but now looking back at how much ukraine has progressed uh, you know some people ask me oh my god is it you know is it near anywhere near like it is here and i'm like well you Better. know my, <laughs> my <laughs> the buildings are pretty like here's well, my home like, country you know the my home city is kiev but it's the capital oh, yeah. you know it's over 1500 years old yeah. You can't compare it yeah, that. Yeah, it's beautiful, yeah. Plus also the fact that, you know, amongst the war, for, as an example, a bridge that was blown up um, by the Russians was rebuilt within a month and the trains were going over it and it wasn't a tiny little bridge. Hmm. And you have to ask yourself, how long does it take for us to build anything? Yeah, oh, shots fired. <laughs> my, my flatmate's building the... um. <laughs> the the rail under the K road. I was like, "What are you doing with your life? Like, what's happening?" Yeah, I, and or like China, like overnight, just you know the whole thing. I, f- I feel like, well, I don't know anything to be honest, but I feel like it's slow. Why is it slow? If it is slow, why is it slow? I'd say it's too many people have to have a conversation about it rather than actually getting on and doing it. <laughs> Six people looking at a road cone. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, okay. Well, we better talk about. Yeah, well, you did. Wait, we got to work out how you got here first. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why the fuck? Yeah, like and you can swear by the way. It doesn't yeah. matter. So you got so three jobs. Ukraine, don't smile, wipe your face. Yeah. Your face, oh wow. <laughs> yeah, I was listening. And so then you're like what in your twenty nineteen, yeah. and then what yeah. do you do? What, what's happening? Um, at the time, I started working for my um partner at the time, and actually, I guess that probably was one of the major learning curves about business. And I was always uh, very passionate as well about business, just learning things. Um, He ran a door-to-door sales company um, selling Kirby's, would you believe? Um, Selling what? Kirby's. You you don't even know what it is. Um, That just tells you how bad they are now. Um, But back then, they were selling this vacuum cleaner for $4,000. Yeah, I've heard of those. Yeah. Yeah. Not the name, but the $4,000. Yeah, $4,000. You know, I think, gosh, I can't remember how many... I think we got up to four hundred a month. You're selling four thousand times four hundred a month. Yeah, that's what wow. he was. His company was selling, and so I came on board. And at the time, he wanted me to be a salesperson, um, but it didn't end up that um, his sales manager was a bit up to it. So I left. <laughs> After one day of uh, of induction, and I came back. (laughs) One day. I know. And then I came back into an office management role. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then just um, he actually got to the point, I suppose, where his business was growing so much, but there was no further, like the sales is the growth, Mm. but what are the next steps you take? So I think for him, he felt like he's reached the ceiling, and I was too young to, I suppose, be in that coaching um, role as a partner to be able to help. Okay, well, what do we do? Um, so I took over sort of helping and looking after the business. And that was probably one of the major learning curves for me because mm. you have to be involved in so many different departments and learning so many different things. And after that, I um, basically went into different industries. And I think what I found by going to different industries, I... I um, had picked up so many different skills. I've worked in a finance company. Then I worked at an outsourcing company um, that ended up selling um, the business to New Zealand Post. So they were quite a large company. And I was I ended up being the senior management senior manager on the management team. Oh, watch so, out. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it was What's quite- your top managing tips? I'm good at interrupting you today. <laughs> That's all right. Top management tips. Treat people like people, I think. Mm. Groundbreaking, eh? Oh, I I think that, you know, a lot of, I think the biggest um, tip that that particular manager gave me is I I remember um, 
him saying about other managers that they come on the scene into their new role and they start to change everything just to throw their weight around rather than actually sitting and breathing through the nose for about three months Hmm. and observing and understanding, well, what does the business do? Um, I think as a leader, you have to be able to um, roll up your sleeves and actually do the hard yards and understand really the company, the people. And at the end of the day, actually, um, the people that work for you are your biggest asset. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I was just thinking, um, because, you know, you're too articulate. You've got to rock the boat. (laughs) (laughs) I think, like, the part... I struggle the most when I see either a business owner or a manager is mm. the need to manage the process as opposed to creating a mission and then allowing the individual to find the answers to that mission and supporting them if they get lost. Because essentially a lot of businesses bottleneck to them. So they're over-managing the process. They're not outsourcing or decentralizing or trusting mm. and they're missing out. But you were carrying on with your story, weren't you? So you no, no, it's corporate. Fine. Okay, well, okay, now you're about to start your business. You're like, yeah. and pregnant? Or when did no, you start no, no. your business? Uh, I started my business about four years ago. Oh, okay, all yeah. right. So what was that like? So you're like, I've had enough or like, I feel I could do this or... So or- um, as I mentioned before, I, went, I was thinking of going to Australia. So I had worked, after the outsourcing job, I had worked for a couple of other places um, and then basically, yeah, I was ready to go. Um in the last role that I had, I had really delivered everything that was expected of me and I felt that, you know, what more can I really add? You know, I've always pretty much done a job and I kind of almost put myself out of the job because I have delivered what was necessary for the team to Hmm. be successful or turn the part of the business to... um, start to achieve some major results especially around budget and things like that so yeah so I was set to do that and then uh, you know these guys pulled me in on helping customers and then I suppose you know when you start to work for yourself I guess um, and a lot of people in the past who I worked with who were my managers would keep telling me Sash you're not really you know um I think you could grow more if you were if you're doing things for yourself and I'm like oh it's that whole you know I think as women we actually like men can just oh, I'm just gonna go and do it you know whereas us girls we kind of think oh can I can I not you know we still I think sometimes second guess ourselves if I'm completely honest um as much as we might come across as strong women but I do think that at times we well, yeah, it's a bit more, it takes us to make a decision on what do we do next. And yeah, for me, I started to really um, enjoy that whole part of interaction with clients. Um, I think that's what really, um, I suppose, um, makes my heart sing. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Okay. <laughs> well, on a more wholesome note, like if there's like, you know, you sound like somewhat of an advocate for women and, and trying to encourage mm. and support them. So if there was like a young woman thinking about business or has some level of trepidation and, and what would your advice be around that, like getting through that or they're in a business and they're seen as bitchy, but they just want to be assertive or, you know. Oh, I can't stand that part. But the whole bitchy thing. Well, no, seriously, I've been there. I've um, I've been in a place where, you know, you're working amongst a lot of men mm-hmm. and you are... Just say you mind. I'm, I know I'm a oh, bloke, but, like, but no, there no. are blokes listening. Mostly blokes, actually, 60%. <laughs> Look, I, I work with 95% blokes, yeah, you know, yeah, at the end of go. the day, and, and I don't have an issue, and they don't have an issue with me. They actually like how I say things. Um, I think the issue is, is that the people who say that to the ladies are the ones who are threatened by them, I find the most. Okay. They've got nothing else to say that is actually constructive because if that's all you've actually got to say to somebody, that they're bitchy, really, where's the substance for it? Hmm. That's where's this I coming from? You've been called bitchy, have you? <laughs> no, I've never there. been called bitchy. I'm oh, yeah. pretty much a black and white person when it comes to yeah. things, but... Um, I just think that I find, you know, on a personal level, I'd find people can misread you and then they, you know, act a certain way. 
and you know it and so <laughs> there's no point of hiding it you're very so. you're very good at like you're weave, you're good at weaving things in a bit more favorable light i think it's beautifully oh, really? explained <laughs> yeah well i mean i get the undertone of what you're saying is you know you met certain people they treated you differently because maybe they thought you're a little bit cheap and in actual fact you're not but you know um anyways we won't get it but you were saying advice for young women what would you advise, yeah, whether it's that or anything in I general? mean, I, I actually was a mentor at University of Auckland to a couple of girls cool. and um, they enjoyed, I suppose, working, I think, with me because I, well, I just don't fluff things up when it comes to advice. And <laughs> I think at the end of the day, I think these days there's so much support out there around finding knowledge on the internet if you really want to, you know, Um I'm at the moment studying full-time on top of everything else that I'm doing, a construction double um, major in diploma in uh, quantity surveying and um, project management. And as an example, like I'm the only student in my group for, that went on Facebook to find another quantity surveyor, you know, um, and I connected with this amazing lady who, work, who worked at the time full-time Hogan. And so, you know, and... And she was immediately helpful in regards to answering some of the questions that I had. So I, I think my point is, is that if you're starting a business and you think you don't have support, it's just your thought that's stopping you from doing what you want to do. Mm. That's all that's stopping you. There is support out there. There'll be people who will be, that would have never met you, that would be more than glad to help you. Um, there'll be other people who might be a mentor might mm. be able to help with the like a business plan anything you really want these days i think that you know it's about attitude just got to go and get it fair yeah but an anti-victim mindset <laughs> i feel i think so yeah i struggle that there's um there's this concept of the shadow like um not to get too deep it's kind of my thing but there's aspects of who you are that are uncomfortable and that you you have an integrator accepted and often a good way to find them is that trait in others really upsets you. Mm-hmm. So for me, I get upset by victims, which is fucked. Obviously, you're like, oh, it's a poor person. But like them in that narrative in that life. And I, I for me, I play victim quite a lot. It's a talent. It's like, oh, poor me. But then I work on it. That's actually why I wear this shirt, the same shirt every day. It's like, what would Jaco do? And Jaco is like the opposite of victimhood. He's, his book's called Extreme Ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just... do. We'll, we'll get into Renault after this. I swear <laughs> to God. I swear to God. But, like, do you find, like, traits in others that are quite upsetting and hard to get through? Or would there be advice you have to get through the victimhood component? Or um, Look, I, I think what I don't like is uh, when something has been done unfairly. That's one of the things that I absolutely don't like. Mm. And whether that's somebody where I've come in the topic of renovation if I've come across a customer and they've been taken for a ride or they've been told something that they shouldn't have been told and as a result they've actually had some stress in their life because of it um it really really stirs me Hmm. um but in regards to victims I I think early in my life maybe but now I kind of think well that's what they're choosing to do that makes them happy okay great you know, um, who am I to tell them not to be a victim if they want to be? Yeah, stop being a victim. Oh, I'm cured. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, okay, we'll get into Rena. I just uh, <laughs> beautiful tangent for me, anyways. Um, well, okay, so Reno, so there's, you, might, you I imagine you might help the odd bloke too, not just yes. women, but like yes. whoever's listening, and the non-binary shout out. Um, what, what should you be mindful, like, to not be taken for a ride? Like, how do you upskill or how sure. do you be knowledgeable, that sort of thing? Look, I think, you know, I actually thought that like, that might be something you ask. And I thought, mm, how do you get really across that a person might, I guess, understand um, how to adopt this? And I think the biggest issue is, is that um, it's that initial communication with whoever it is that you're engaging to do the work. I think that it's a little bit like dating almost. Hmm. You're almost a bit too scared to say everything because you might scare them off, but then you don't want to say anything. And you know, <laughs> yeah. and, it's, and I, I'm talking about budget side of things. So yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of the people will tell you when you ask them, well, how much 
how much you're willing to spend. They don't really tell you, like even me, how much they are wanting to, spend. to wanting to spend. Yeah. But the problem is, is that obviously, if it's a hundred thousand dollar job, but they're you know, but they're hoping to spend maybe fifty. Those days are gone, you know. And you really need to um, when you engage in, I think a person say a builder or a plumber or an electrician be really upfront about what it is you want but actually set a project in your own mind that's all I'm doing um and don't start making changes constantly and can't can't make a decision on what I want and oh maybe I'll do this and maybe I do that maybe I do that um that's how things go from you know five dollar job to a twenty dollar job um and also the relationship it becomes really difficult because you're asking somebody who it's not their core business, say a builder isn't there to help you go through the decision-making process. They're hmm. there to build. So <laughs> I think it's going back to thinking, okay, what am I going to get them to do? And then I personally, obviously, as my business grows, I have to look for different tradies. So when I look for them, um, the things that I, I guess will be assessing is I would have sent them an email told them about who I am and that I'm looking for a new person out of 20 emails that I would send I can tell you now I'd have only three that reply mm. and out of those three there'll only be two whose English is actually <laughs> structured well yeah you know, yeah, yeah, um, I know what you're saying. Yeah. but prior to me sending that email I would have actually looked at their website I would have looked at their Facebook page I would have looked at their Google reviews I would have looked at what are they being last posts? And some of the posts you go, oh my God, no thanks. Move on to the next one. My spreadsheet of who not to use is a very long spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, when you find really good people, I think that the thing that people need to remember is it's worth paying that a little bit extra mm. of not having to worry about things that might go in, the, in like wrong later. And what I, I suppose, refer to, like the things that I refer to there is a lot of people take risks and the builder will tell them you need a consent for that. Oh, no, don't worry about it. Just do it. Things like that where you might be okay with it, but come selling the house, mm. somebody that wants to buy the place and say you're under financial pressure, you want to exit that property, you have a problem on your hands now. Where's the paperwork? Where are the certificates? Why it's not on the plans? Blah, 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 blah. And it becomes a much bigger issue later. Um, or there is something wrong. You've used the cheap quote. Mm. They're no longer in business. What are you going to do then? Mm, it's true. There's a couple of quotes I like around that. It's like um, the only thing more costly than hiring a professional is hiring an amateur. Mm. And then the other one is it's good to build a fence on the top of the hill than clean the mess up at the bottom. So mm. around, you know, getting the good structure, the good intent, narrowing it down to a single mm. focus. It's quite interesting. It's quite principally, like I know nothing about property, opposite of you, not interested in it at all. And I'm, building. Yeah, and building, the structure, the fuck, it's just a vessel. If it's if it's got walls and I can sleep there, it's right. <laughs> and that's because I lived in a tent traveling around the world, not caring about anything. Um. What would be, yeah, I just lost my train of thought, but what would be some good tools just to not link that to anything mm -hmm. and just start completely fresh? What? How did you find them? Like, do you, is there like a builder website thing where you find them more like what's the crack or something? No, 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 no. I wouldn't ever touch those um, actually websites personally. Huh. Okay. Why? Why? Because when you think about it, the good people won't be on there. They're too busy to be advertise themselves on builders cracking huh. and all that. Huh. Because um, most of the really good builders, they're pretty much booked up between 12 to 18 months. Mm. Hmm. Wow. So, you know, um, the and uh, look, I'm not I'm not there to say that everyone is bad or anything. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is it just, if we're talking about a person who is inexperienced, very nervous hmm. and gets very stressed about the process... All I'm saying is, yes, you can definitely probably find somebody really good on that on those websites, but you're just going to know how to interview them, how to look for the things that you you know might want to avoid when you are getting your three quotes, um, 
you know, I just, uh, I've had a, a lot of customers who might use me for one part of their renovation and then I would arrive doing that part while they're telling me, oh God, I've had somebody paint my that part there and look at the paint that they've splashed on my brand new deck that was just done. And so, you know, it's it's tiny little things that at the time, you know, somebody might not bring the drop down cloth, but it ends up damaged with, say, a new carpet, you know. It's just um, certain things, it's just risk, really, risk management at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and so I think that if you are actually nervous, have never done it before, I think um, finding somebody who has experience as well as not a cheap squirt. Mm. Yeah. Who, who's your biggest competitor or is this none? I haven't really found – I think my biggest competitor is the customer because they think they know how to do it themselves. <laughs> yeah, point. Really. Especially New Zealand, DIYs. DIYs, like. yeah, that's right. Um, and I and I think that's that's absolutely fine. You know, at the end of the day, um, I'm there to provide value and if a person doesn't feel that, I will be able to give them the value. Um, but uh, I guess the difference is generally the, the builder will be doing what I'm partially doing. Mm-hmm. But they don't have the time to do that. And in the end of the day, they'll actually charge for that too. So whether they pay me, but I'm actually acting on the customer's behalf. And if they fall out with the builder, I'm still there and I'll find them somebody else. Whereas if I'm not there, I can't smooth things over. Hmm. That's interesting. Why? Like I can see, you know, from my limited understanding of builders, I was a laborer and they just tell me what to do because I don't want to think. They'd give me a left-handed hammer and I'd get confused. Like, what do you mean left-handed hammer? Um, so, so I can see how they benefit from like the EQ component, like being able to navigate relationships with clients, being busy, mm. not having good systems mm. or processes. They just want to build. Yes. That solves the problem. But then you're saying they're going to pay you. Mm. But if they fuck up, you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to give you another builder. Like, how does that work? Like, do they, or is it just doesn't no, happen No, it's much? more or less, uh, the thing is, though, if a customer is hiring me, I'm there to manage the project. So, sure. therefore, I'm going to be managing the way that the whole project is going to be run. The builder is not going to be, um, you know, I'm going to have the whole program. What day is the builder going to come in? Because the builder is not going to be on the whole project there the whole time. Otherwise, again, you'll be paying for that, you know, for them to make sure the tiler gets there. You know, to tile your bathroom. Have they waterproofed? Did they do the right waterproofing? Is it up to the standard? You know, and and the what? I mean, I'm not saying that every builder is like that, but you want to have a peace of mind for yourself. You know, mm. everyone gets busy, and and I think the point is is that no one is perfect, and so having somebody manage the process, you're actually helping also the the guys just come and do the job, move on to the next part. And so, therefore, if something isn't right, you have somebody like me to go, hey, could you just, um, I think this has been missed off. Um, whereas if the customer is managing that, it'll be, oh, my God, you haven't done it. it that's it, over, over, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And because I think we are operating in a very, very pressured environment at the moment, we have not enough materials. We are having to order the materials not the way that we used to, you can't just go down to, down the road and get them. You know, um, for some parts, you actually have a limit also on how much you can get. Mm. So you'll go down one trip to go get that. Tomorrow, you've got to go get it again. So it, it, there's just a lot more stress and pressure on, on the guys now. So, and I think, you know, having that middle person, making sure that people are coming in the right times and managing that also having those relationships because they know you that means that if we're running with one component of the project late and I need to put off somebody else it's about foreseeing that with well an advance notice mm. to be able to give that to the right guys so say we're still going with I don't know jibbing and electrical but the tile was meant to come in tomorrow and I actually can't have them yet there so I'll I'll be managing that process without the customer even having to worry about it. It makes sense. Like I knew nothing about your business model till now. Why well, I, mm. I looked up, you seemed cool, we talked and I was like, okay, <laughs> fuck it. It's still yeah. 
it makes sense like just from from the the business side of things being a builder and a competency that you're not naturally mm. good at solves a problem you don't want to deal with the stress mm. you're there because you love the creative you like building you like mm. shaping and you like doing and then the person's stress doesn't really understand it maybe they're probably your better clients would be ones that have fucked up themselves and then they see the need my business associate's favorite line is like you can do your electrical work but you might end up like a black mess in the corner Mm. and this is the thing so you probably get them post but from a like scalability problem like mm-hmm. what how are you going to train other people you're just going to keep it at a level you got a big waiting list like how do you like because you don't have recurring revenue like it's a one-off or yeah so it's obviously project by project basis yeah. i mean this sort of um this sort of business is you know it's actually um a lot more for example well-known in Australia and, in, and around the world, mm. people really generally use more project managers for home renovations. But I think because we're a nation of DIYs, that's why there is not a lot, a lot of sort of um, knowledge out there of somebody like me. Mm. But um, I, I guess I just take on the work and then just project manage what I can and can't do. And at this point in time, I haven't decided how I will scale my business and to what degree. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you're living for four years. <laughs> so doing something, right? Yeah. Sounds stressful, kids. Well, we won't go into details about the kids, but you're a mum, single yes. mum and hustling yes. and studying. Yes, And what full-time. the fuck, like how many hours are there in a day? Like what, <laughs> what does actually, what does your day look like? How do you, so you study for like, I don't know, two hours a day, three hours a day. And then you look Sometimes after more. Look, at the end of the day, I think if I couldn't project manage my own life, I'd be pretty bad at my own look, job. You got all I? the one. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just how, look. I think um, I think that just comes back to my culture where I've come from. Yeah. I think that uh, that's just who we are. I see some of my own um, ladies from back home, and that's that's what we do. We <laughs> just um, grinders. No, I don't think we are grinders. We enjoy life. Don't get me wrong, but I think that uh, yeah, we what are, are you hard for fun then? On that note, how do you go stay sane? How do you stay sane? I mean, I love what I do, and I work too much. Maybe yeah. not as much as you, by the sounds of it, but like a decent amount. <laughs> so, how do you keep sane? What do you? Oh, look. I mean, I think it's it depends what what you consider fun. You know, mm. at the end of the day, yeah. you know. Um, I I I find um I'll do different things. You know, I mean. I'll still be the person who will sit on the couch and watch Netflix and do other things or go out and see my friends or okay. go for a walk or, you know, my fun is still doing renovations. Like last year when... Uh, when <laughs> you break, know, you reno. Yeah, I know, on. when my, my little one was only... Gosh, he was not even... No, he was two months old. Mm. I took on a project in Whangarei for a trade property and physically driving there, living in an absolute bomb site, converting this. Um, How old was two, he? Oh, he was only just over two months. So you like breastfeeding on the brakes, changing nappies? No, all luckily that stuff. I wasn't breastfeeding. I had okay. a broken arm at the time, so I couldn't breastfeed. But um, my mum did that, by the way. Mm-hmm. You probably like her. Essentially, I would have to. She'd breastfeed me at work so she could keep working, and then I would come home. And grandma would look after me. Except you, you're doing both. Well. Yeah, I'm not trying to focus on that area. <laughs> I'm just right. trying to relate. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, yeah, I don't know how that because they're without lack of a better word, they're a little bit, you know, annoying kids. Like they're wonderful, beautiful, but then you mm. know, you, they need a lot of support and attention. And you're studying and working and then doing a project down two know. weeks with a broken arm. Yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, I suppose, I found him actually probably even more enhancing my life and thinking Mm. about what do I do as a single mum to create the life that I really want for us to live. Okay. And I think he's really challenged me to think more outside of the square and to think about how to become more and more maybe financially free and independent. And I saw that as as a way, I mean, at the end of the day, like at that age, they just want to be changed, bottled, uh, and put you know put into their little um crib and have a sleep there goes my three hours i could be painting a wall or doing something you know what i mean mm. so i suppose i have systems in place i've got processes and things of how i run my business when it comes to doing a renovation and it all down it's all down to planning and i think that i guess when the opportunity came to do the study i decided well we're in a lockdown. 
you can't see a lot of people. Mm. <laughs> you can't be doing lots of different things. Mm. So I might as well do something more with my time. And it was offered, um, yeah, it was offered to us all. And so I took it. And so why not? So, wow, that's a point. Yeah, because you got this business for four years and then in the middle, mm. you can't leave your house, you know, yeah. COVID. And then all the costs and blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like what, was, what happened with your COVID journeys? And then maybe in the middle. Oh, look, my COVID <laughs> journey, I, I think the, well, the first lockdown was I was just pregnant. And then... God, that's mad. Yeah, it was, it was like interesting. And then uh, I think another lockdown happened... And you just get used to it, I suppose. Um, I suppose. But how did you live? Because you don't have recurring revenue. You just had savings, I guess. And then you snuck out and did renos. <laughs> yeah. With masks, double masks. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I guess to a degree, COVID on some parts is in my role specifically. I suppose if I have very good people, you don't physically have to be there right there and yeah, then. You know, point, yeah. um, if I need to be on site. I could come in and somebody could leave to have a look at things or, you know, you can work around it. Um, meeting customers on Zoom instead, you know, makes it... Um, Less scalable. Yeah, exactly. And you can actually help more people by not having to be physically there yeah. um, and talk through how do you actually approach the whole project, what mm. do you do. And I think a lot of the time um, my role actually... I spend a lot of my hours planning the project before it starts. That's actually really the nuts and bolts of it all. When it actually starts, you know, yeah, sure, things pop up, but mm. it's not as massive as getting it right before it even starts. It's fair. Like, we're the opposite. Even though, like, technically, I'm a financial planner. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I plan out people's next few decades of their life so they can fund their income, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Like, the financial freedom component. Well, I don't like planning. I like the like talking to them about what they want. Doing the working out how to solve it, you can do it in the consultation. Then you just got to prove it in the plan. Mm -hmm. But that planning can part. Like, is there a process to plan? Like, is there a sequence of things you have or a structure for like, hey, there's a reno. There's these um, practical principles I can apply, even though we're doing tiling mm -hmm. this time. But before we're doing whatever other building stuff there is. <laughs> oh look, I mean the thing is. Uh well, now that I'm doing the study at the commercial level, oh, yeah. um, I could say that it really at the end of the day, it starts for, from working from back to front. So you, you, you're working from what is it need to be finished to, mm. that the customer wants it to what level, and then you work it backwards. But um, for me, that's one part where I, I will work the guy's um, timeline in regards to how are we going to deliver it. But there's also things that I have to consider as um, other, some of the materials the customer are going to provide to us themselves because that's potentially going to be an issue mm. if they um, manage that but then the supplier doesn't deliver it on time or if where they get it from hmm. doesn't fit. I've had it, you know, before. Or it comes but the parts are not there but they've ordered it from out of town. Hmm. You can't get that one screw that you really need. <laughs> You know, um, you've got some yarns, I reckon. The what? Some yarns, like things just gone wrong, and you oh. like having a well. You might not have a meltdown. You seem cool, calm, collected. Well, maybe you melt down the car, and then you're like, "Oh, this is easy." We'll I melt down it. sometimes with the guys, but it's, I oh, think yeah. that, that that's because we mutually understand each other's frustrations when it comes to some of those things. Um, you know, not working. Um, we know that they will not work, but trying to convince the customer that that's a really wrong path to go. It's pretty hard, you know, and, and you almost feel like you don't want to be overstepping the boundary of telling the client what they can and can't have mm. um, because if they ultimately want something, they should be able to have it. It's just it's going to be a lot more of a cost. It's, there's a lot of risk. It's a bit of a challenge. You know, even if they cho choose a certain tile, the way it's got to be cut, yeah, okay. you know, it could become an issue. But people like think oh it's just a bathroom but there's so many things that can go wrong um yeah. that you know to achieve what somebody might like and want uh, yeah yeah i feel like we haven't leached enough value from you i feel like we just <laughs> talked about your life so i feel like we've got a bit of time still it's 252 by the way we can go a bit over 
sure the listeners would appreciate some Reno help. Sure. This is where I should be knowledgeable to ask the right question. So if, okay. if the question sucks, you can re-ask your own question to add more value to people that are renoing. Okay. But, okay, so someone's going to reno. Yes. And they don't realize the implications of that decision or, or what are some challenges that come as a result of not thorough planning? What are common mistakes, shall we say, sure. that reno people make? I think it goes back to my comment, what I made earlier, is being really, really comfortable and open with your communication with your builder or whoever your team is. Mm-hmm. Because if you're hiring them to be your team, you need to really trust them to be your team. And so you should be able to then sit down with them and say to them, this is what I want, but please tell me if you think there's another way of achieving Mm -hmm. similar look or whatever, if there's anything that you think could be an issue, please tell me now so that I might make a different choice quickly. But I also think the other thing is be prepared to make decisions fast. Right now we're in an industry where if you take too long, the material change or anything else is going to cost you three, four times the price. Mm. Okay. Are you seeing anything on the material side of things? Like I understand the macroeconomic issues of New Zealand, you know, like we've got labor shortages because of lack of immigration. You've got global chain ish- supply chain issues because it's like dominoes. Everyone's getting slowed at each point and it's pent up demand. Mm. We've got lots of government spending, lots of money in the economy with like you know like inflation spiking Mm. out people spending a lot because they're not in their house anymore what from that building reno side like what are you seeing like obviously there's an inflation of supply costs Mm. there's a a lot of delay in terms of like delivering on projects what are sort of like do you see like a recession on the horizon or you see expansion or or less people are renoing or buying houses or what's your insight on down the ground i I don't i mean i don't have a crystal ball i want to know that's true but um i think like i'm actually constantly watching the property market just like anybody else own a house so i'm interested in, in finding out well, what's going to happen how's it going to look congrats by the way own <laughs> a house and a single mum yeah watch out um and you know i also watch what's happening for example in australia and you know their housing is actually they sort of a little bit has had a cooling but they're still growing up we, we're supposedly reporting uh, a downturn i haven't kind of noticed it to be okay. fair I've um I guess in my area and I'm not in a high-end area or anything and it's a it's a good area but um I think a couple of months ago there were four properties sitting on my street um unsold and for a month or a month and a half I was walking past and I was thinking mm, still not sold mm. but then in the last three weeks they're all pop 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 gone um and the prices they weren't really anything that I thought oh shit it's mm. dropped by this much um, there were still fair prices. They were fine. Um, not, you know, s- stupid crazy, but I think that there were good prices. Um, I think the biggest issue we're going to uh, experience is people who would have bought a house at, you know, 2% interest rate, 3% interest yeah, rate. And up. they have not really experienced the, okay, how do I budget for 8% or 9%. I mean, I've owned a house... Uh, gosh, you know, over 15 years, a home, not not this particular home, but yeah. I've always been told to make sure that you are prepared for, you know, a certain increase. And when you when you have a very low interest rate mm. offered to you, still keep it at that high rate payments so that you keep on making sure you are paying off the principal. Yeah. Um, I also at the time had borders, so everything that they were paying was going on to the principal. And I just think we probably um, going to see people who overstretch themselves. They're not used to paying the higher rate. Yeah. And I think that's more going to impact the market rather than the prices all suddenly dropping because there'll be people who are desperate. They want to exit their property. And so they will potentially have a certain price on that property. But people who sell for reasons, say, kids need to go to school over there, mm. you know, they they won't be wanting to give away their home. Yeah. That is, I mean, I, I mean, actually... That's how I see it. We've got a supply and demand issue. We've got a, we actually still have supply issue. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think I see that a lot as well with clients um, is a lack of, well, potential new clients would be not... 
understanding the implications of the interest rates like you know mm. they they're not dumb they're smart people but they just haven't experienced anything except low rates mm. and like even in 2011 there was 9 or 11% 11% for floating rate 9% for fixed and over the last 20 years fixed rates have averaged about 6.6% mm. and floating 7 mm. so always in the planning process we use 7 and that's right and right now the only thing the reserve bank can do to stop inflation well, there's a few things, but the main thing they do is increase the cost of money, which flows onto mortgage rates. Mm. So because inflation is so hot and so scary, interest rates potentially are going to continue to go up. So yeah. as you say, immensely prepare for that. The borders are smart. Tax-free, I believe, to have borders if they don't reach a certain threshold. The whole, sorry? The borders that live in the house before. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Oh, um, they, they were flatmates. I mean, yeah. so, you know, when you're living in the house and you're renting it out to other flatmates, it helps you, certainly. Yeah. Oh, smart. Um, and at the time, yeah, I mean, that was one of my biggest learning curves around renovating. Um, that was a house that I bought, it was a villa, and mm. it was completely run down, and I was just like, if I were to think about it now, I was thinking, oh, God, what were you thinking? Mm. But it was a massive learning curve, and I also met a lot of amazing people through it, so... Um, I find, in all honesty, as many you know bad apples out there in the building industry, there's so many amazing tradies, and genuinely actually want to do a good job, help their customers. Um, you know they want to fix things in once. <laughs> mm. You know, um, and I I've been really fortunate to come across quite a few of those people, and uh, you know have become my friends, and it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, as I say, being less than an amateur about the property thing, <laughs> what I've learned, the takeaways I've taken is, you know, have don't multitask, have a single focus on the projects. Um, it's really key, the team that you have, you might have to pay a certain yeah. price to be able to get that team. Um, and there's complexities that are going to come around the corner that if you don't do the right thing at the start around the planning and thinking yeah. about the implications could be a problem and be mindful of how you communicate to these poor stressed out 90 percent men <laughs> in the industry i don't know about that but yeah no i think it's uh, look i think it's more or less um you know when things go bad it's making the right decision yeah making quick decisions any yes. pointers on that as we wrap this up oh gosh i think it's just um being decisive and, and being able to live with the, the consequences of your decisions I think at the end of the day I think the thing is you can always find somebody um, to do that job it's a matter of um, you know whether you've overstretched yourself you know if you've paid a deposit to somebody and so you lost out on that if you go with somebody else it's just kind of it's a bit of a balancing act but I think you know if you're stuck and you don't know what to do I think that's I goes back to us different people you know um don't think that you're on your own um pick up the phone and speak to different people um even the right builder if you're having an issue with a builder another builder will say to you well you know if you're really honest and open about what's happened they'll actually might be able to tell you well actually you should do this and this you know um, at the end of the day, we all in the industry actually want to help our customers. Yeah. So as much as you know, I say you know, about the communication, it's just like corporate world or working in a team. Uh, do you want people around you to be engaged in wanting to help you or do you want them to just come in, do a job, but not really give it their all? You yeah, know? No, it's, it's massive. I mean, yeah, I think in my experience, as long as you um, – Take an interest in another human being and treat them mm. as a person and be mindful not to leech failure like I did for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> that um, when you present a problem, most people will try to solve it. They yes. used to actually, I used to do door knocking. People scare me, just FYI, so that's why I did it, to overcome it. And um, so I door knock and I was like, hey, I wonder if you can help me. And that was my opener. Mm-hmm. And they tried to help me 90% yes. of the time, even though I was like, associated with all these other sales people that are trying to sell these four thousand dollar <laughs> vacuum cleaners you're still going for the dig and i'm not buying it yeah no all right fair <laughs> enough fair. it sounds like a wonderful vacuum cleaner um Act, to be fair the was product, it good uh, the product itself what, yes. what should it have cost though like be honest um look 1500 max surely I no 999 no, yeah but you're taking away uh, you're taking away the value of something at the end of the day like dyson these days is just about you know two grand hmm. so to be fair 
um, when it comes to the actual technology of it, it was never made out of plastic. It's made out of steel. So you've actually got a product that will last long. <laughs> yeah, well said. I mean, to be fair, I, I have had a couple of people mention it when I was doing my door knocking. They're, they're yes. older people. Yes. Because I used to um, sell a medical product. I used to have to rub feet um, mm. to and help them walk, which was cool because their mobility is all stuffed up. But um, they, they liked it. They're like, it was a bit expensive, but it still kept working. Yeah. So that, I mean, it was heavy, work. but yeah. It, it lasted. I mean, the, the the biggest thing with it is that I think it was... Um, I'm still a believer. It's, it's amazing, yeah. Well, I don't think it's a believer. The thing is when you've got uh, a husky for a pet and a long-haired German Shepherd, it will be probably the only machine that gets the fur out. Do you use it? Do you use it yourself? Um, oh, go on. Sorry? Do you use it yourself? Here's the I've real proof. I had one a couple of years ago. I got rid of it. because it stopped working? No, because my broken arm... Oh, okay, yeah. All right, you, you win on that one. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, I, we should leave on a positive note. Yes. So people, you know, young women or just women in general that are thinking about um, doing renovations, they're not sure where mm-hmm. to start or what to do. Or maybe men, you branch out, don't know. Yes. We'll see. No, no, I do help men as well. That's, yeah. Good stuff. No discrimination here. No. Um, what? How do they find you or what will help the process or what kind of like is the ideal client? So they're like, oh, that's me. Yeah, I think uh, an ideal client is the, is a person who doesn't know where to start. They would like some help, um, and even if it's just the actual project management part, so literally just helping them to start, and then they can manage it themselves. Um, I'm more than happy to take a call. So I have a website, and it's um, renogirl.co.nz, or they can um, contact me and actually give just give me a call or send me a text. On oh, two one two seven double nine double six four. Oh, you're off. <laughs> Rattled it off. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I'm there to really help anyone that is wanting to know how do they really set off, or if they want to add a value to their property. I think at the moment it's really important to not overinvest and say, you know, yes, kitchens and bathrooms sell and they help sell your house. Um, so if it's certainly a bit, um tired and it needs an upgrade Mm. you should probably think about doing that if you're going to the market because if it's in your area and it's the only sort of place that hasn't had it done so it might put buyers off you know it's just talking to the real estate agent for figuring out whether it's doing it um, like worth doing Um, but I think you know like I personally have bought a property a couple of years ago and I've added uh, two bedrooms and a bathroom Mm. and a kitchenette and made it into a multi-level sort of property from a three-bedroom, one-bathroom house. It's now a five-bedroom, two-bathroom. You're living in a mansion. Well, look at these oh, ballers look, over here. It's it's more. Let's own it. Like, it's not yeah. a border. Built it? it myself. It's, um, these hands yeah, with yeah. these overalls under the house. Yeah, pretty much. But at the end of the day, I think it's about adding value. What comes comes to um, mm. now, um, you know, you can't just. Like you've got to either buy the place well first mm. and then you've got to be able to add value to it to make some money on the property. That's the only way really these days. Fair. Actually, just last question, I promise. Mm-hmm. What are common things that add values to property? Is it more bedrooms? Is it uh, the kitchen part that you talked about or is it case by case? And if it is, do you ask the real estate agent or who do you ask? I find that if I'm going to be looking for a property yeah, and – I'm wanting to say it really depends if you are going to be buying a rental that is going to give you income so you know you can either invest in capital gains when it comes to the property journey or you can invest in cash flow Hmm. Um, but say for your own home you know at the end of the day I think it's about the area you need to figure out you know it still is you know worst house on the best street rather than the other way around so if you do buy the worst house on the best street, you still should really invest in and making it great, you know. And these days, you don't have to, you know, spend a gazillion dollars on doing up a nice kitchen. You know, you can make it tidy and say use a supplier who will tell you, okay, this is the most common bench top that you go for. Therefore, you can get it on special. You know, there are things that you could do to save some money, but actually still get a great product. 
and I look at area, um, you know, what's the most common um, sort of requirement in that area? Is it a four-bedroom house or hmm. is it a four-bedroom, two-bathroom or is it five or is it three, you know, and you can go from there. Um, okay. Or, you know, you might have bought a place and it, you can actually put another place on it. Um, or you could do an extension. And those are the things that I can also help with to customer with customers. Um, I've got a team of architects who I work with who we can kind of look at what is feasible and then um, put together some drawings and then submit it to council and, you know, off you go. Yeah. Oh, I learned stuff, even unwillingly. <laughs> no, it's, I think it's important for me to understand the baseline and then just put people in front of the right people. I, I'm good at just connecting with people that will solve a problem I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, here you go. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll have your website in the link um, below. So if anyone wants to reach out, they can. Thank you. But uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. <laughs>